Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I guess it's because sometimes I find myself stranded on the side of the road. Sometimes it's my own doings. I'm like, God, I need some gas. (laughs) He's like, just wait a minute, I'll be there. (laughs) Always going the extra mile. I knew it was close to him. And he did too. But he was still so gracious. Amen to meet us. Amen. If you'll turn to the book of Isaiah 46 this evening. I want to give thank yous here tonight. Give thank you to uh, Brian Roberts who spent his Sunday afternoon here installing our, what's going to be our screen back there on the back, which is, and Andrew McBroom came later and helped him get that up there. So it, you know, and then Mike, I had Mike Penrod come over and he was, whenever everything else is closed or don't have it, Mike Penrod's our general store. And he brought, he brought some hardware over, amen, because screws, they just don't make them like they used to, and they kind of just broke. Mike brought some stuff over and stuff that we were able to use, so thankful for the general store, amen. I was teasing with the guys this afternoon. I said, what they don't know, I'm going to have the Super Bowl playing on that while I'm up here preaching. And then if anybody wants to see what's going on, they're going to have to turn around and see what's happening. I said, but I'm going to have a sign above that that says, remember Lot's wife. <laughs> She looked back, turned to a pillar of salt. Now, just in case anybody took me seriously right then, it will not be up there. For all those that are gullible, it will not be up there. Amen. And so I'll save you from looking a little weird later. Amen. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter number 46. I didn't mark this in my Bible. I'm getting bad about that. I don't know what the deal with this is. Isaiah 46 and verse number 9. I'm going to read here this evening. If you weren't here this morning, you missed a peculiarity, and that is I preached a little bit in my flip-flops. And uh, people have nightmares about that tonight. The beaming white feet. The beaming white feet probably more than anything. And so... I have a farmer's tan, I guarantee you that. <laughs> I have a farmer's tan. Well, let me say, I have an old farmer's tan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I kind of concerned everybody this morning whenever I talk about how I jogged with only a hoodie. And I stopped and paused there and didn't give any other explanation, but I finally did. I could see the faces right away. Amen. Isaiah 46 and verse number 9. The Bible says, remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is none else. I am God. There is none like me. God is so just confident about himself. I mean, whenever you open up the first verse in Genesis, he says, in the beginning, God. doesn't take time to explain himself. doesn't take time to try to prove himself. He just says, it's me. He says in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all. Everybody say my, and I will do all my pleasure. This evening, I'd like to minister this. This is neither deep nor profound, but it's what the Lord is laying on my heart here for this evening. And that is this. I'm going to preach tonight this. I don't have a Super Bowl sermon for you. All right. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) I want to preach tonight. God is not surprised. Hmm. Hallelujah, God is not surprised. 
I feel like there may be people that's kind of pulling up to the table here service after service with a new report, with a new discovery, with something else that's come down the pike, something else that has been, they've been blindsided by, came from left field. I'm here to encourage you tonight through the word of the Lord that all of those things, all of those things that have you wondering, considering, reconsidering, and evaluating, God is not surprised. I feel the Holy Ghost. Holy of my Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I come to you here this evening. God, I'm grateful tonight. God, for those that have pulled themselves, Lord, dragged themselves, whatever, by all means necessary, got themselves to the house of God tonight. I pray, oh God, whatever obstacles they've had to come over, whatever, Lord Jesus, God, battles of the mind, God, and threatenings, Lord Jesus, of the heart, God, that they push through, God, this week and this month, God, to show up into this place battered in disarray as they may be. I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, deposit, Lord, a fresh assurance. Oh, God! Lord, let there be a fresh assurance, God, deposited in their spirit tonight. God, and will not fail to thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's just clap our hands to the Lord right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you. Come on, someone lift their voice with that hand clap right now. I magnify you. God, I worship you. I glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. The lovely name of the Lord. Everybody say, God is not surprised. Isaiah 46, God has been on a mission for the past few chapters, underscoring, denoting, emphasizing, emboldening to his people that he is God. He is speaking in terms and terminology from 43 until this chapter, at least, talking about how he is God, how there's not another, that he is God alone, there is none like him, there is no other Savior. He's constantly using these phrases unto the children of Israel. And in the same notion that he's talking about who he is, he also is talking about making declarations. He's also talking about declaring things from ancient and ages ago for even the time present and time still yet to come. And he begins to contrast himself in Isaiah 46 with the gods of the Babylonians. Those that he made mention of in particular in this chapter are Baal and Nebo. He speaks about the gods of the Babylonians. Some of which Israel in their times of weakness, times of frailty, times of second guessing, they had accepted those gods as their own. And they served those who served those type of gods at Babylon, like Baal and Nebo. God was telling them, you all, if you will just stop and consider, he says, you all pay good money to hire a smith of a worker of iron or brass or gold. You hire a smith with good money to make these gods for yourselves. And if you don't use good money to hire a smith, he says, you have whittled these gods out yourselves from wood and you have put them in their places in your homes and in your temples. He says, you that serve these type of gods, you, you carry these gods. You, the, 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 the designer, the, the, the creator of these gods, you carry these gods and you bear these gods upon your shoulders and you place them on carts and you place them perhaps on carriages in the 
upon beast, amen, to bear the burden of your God. And, and so whether they're bore by beast or whether they're bore by men, these gods have to be carried for you. And, and they are, he even states it very quite plainly. He says, your gods have become a burden to you. Your gods have become a burden to you. As a matter of fact, he said such gods that you have put confidence in and such gods that you have put such great deal of concentration in. He says, I hate to deliver the news to you tonight. He says, but your gods cannot ever deliver you. These type of gods will not be able to ever deliver their worshipers. And the men that worship these gods can't deliver their gods. Says it just cannot happen. It's a controversy and a contrasting of terms. He says, as a matter of fact, he says, both you and your gods, if this is what you're serving, both you and your gods will be carried into captivity. Your God won't be able to deliver you from it, and you won't be, be able to deliver your God from it. Both of you will be carried into captivity. But God said, while you made your God and while you carried your God and while you cared for your God and while you made feeble attempts even to deliver your God he says I am God and there is none like me while they made their gods he said I created and made you he said, while they carried their gods, he said, all along the while, I've been carrying you. As a matter of fact, I carried you from birth, and I'll carry you until your hairs are gray upon your head. In other words, God said, I'll carry you from the womb until the tomb. As a matter of fact, I carried you before you even came forth from the womb. They are carrying their gods, but your God has been the one that's been carrying you all along the journey. Can someone say amen? He said you wouldn't be able to deliver your God and your God would not be able to deliver you. He says, but I'm here to tell you that I am God and your God is capable, has delivered you. And I am delivering you and I will. Someone say, I will. I will deliver you. Someone say, amen. amen. Because he says, for I am God and there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me. Notice the little comma, the little pause there. There is none like me, he says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. In other words, God is saying he's already mentioned a lot of contrast of how he made his people. He carried his people. He's delivered his people. He's made a lot of contrast about bearing and delivering and, and making and carrying. But something that sets this God aside from any other or anyone else, that is, is that I declare the end from the beginning. In other words, God says, I am not surprised. He says something, it's not just that I created you that sets me apart. It's not just that I deliver you that sets me apart. It's not just that I created you that sets me apart. But what sets me apart from all others is also this. I am not surprised. I have declared the end from the very beginning. Can someone say amen? In other words, God is saying, if it happens, I'm not surprised. If it doesn't happen, I'm not surprised. While you're wringing your hands over what might happen, I'm not worried about what will happen because I am not surprised. Can someone say amen? Now with that comes all types of questions. We could sit here tonight and we could discuss and have go through our minds. We could talk about the providence of God. We could entertain thoughts as men try to entertain how in the world can God know the end from the beginning and yet still give man a free choice. That is a popular question that people like to entertain in their minds. How can God know the end from the beginning and still yet have man to have a free choice to make a choice, to make his own decision? We also entertain the questions of is there any use in trying I've heard this one is there any use in trying if God has everything planned out for our lives or in our lives well folks I would like to say we have an open forum here tonight and we're here to discuss all these things but that's not my purpose here this evening all I can tell you concerning those things is that God is sovereign amen and there are some things that I cannot even begin to wrap my mind around and believe me I've tried a lot of them his thoughts are higher than mine his ways are not my ways he is God and yet he's not surprised someone say amen and I know 
as people, as humanity, we are frustrated sometimes because there are unimaginable perplexities, amen, that arise with questions like those. That Those are questions that keep people awake at night. Those are questions that cause people to rock in the rocking chair and wonder why has this happened to me or why has that happened to me? I serve God and God is my maker and I claim him as my savior. God could take care of this if he wanted to. And I'm telling you, I believe all of that, amen, quite well tonight. But I rest assured, what I must is rest assured in the simple fact that God is not surprised. That Oh, and listen to me. I, I'm trying to be careful here today, but I just got to say what I got to say. Amen. In the Holy Ghost, that if the diagnosis is bad, I just got to come to the fact that God is not surprised. That if the baby dies, I got to just understand that God is not surprised. If the income's not there for the bill, I just got to come to terms that God is not surprised. If he heals me, I just got to know that God's not surprised. But if he don't, I got to rest assured that God. Someone say amen. God is not surprised. Someone say amen. He's not surprised. To be surprised. Basic dictionary definition. To be surprised is to encounter something you were not expecting. Uh To encounter something you were not expecting. Now here's the fact. Some people like surprises. Some people don't. Some people get an adrenaline rush from the unknown showing up in their life and then being able to adapt, to adjust to maybe some freshly, you know, learned information. They like to navigate through the waters of the unknown. It energizes them. Honestly, there's people out there like that. It's like, man, what's the next thing that's going to happen that I don't know? You know, waking up, I just, you know, some people wake up and say, I hope everything goes as it should today. There's other people who wake up and say, man, I hope something goes helter-skelter today. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> wow. And then there's those other people. Others live their lives in almost a constant fear of what the next surprise is going to be. They can't hardly tar- tolerate it for something to take place that they were not expecting. For something to take place that they were not aware of. For something to take place that they didn't see coming. As a matter of fact, it almost drains them to even think about the concept or the idea of having to shift a time or change something in their schedule or change something in their life that they had planned in order to accommodate this surprise. Do we have anybody that likes to be surprised here that like to? Nobody likes surprises. Well, I don't have to worry about throwing anybody a birthday party surprised. Is there anybody that just don't like the unexpected to show up? You all hung between the balances. You're just right in the middle cross between the two thieves. You're just. <laughs> the fact of the matter, there's going to be surprises in life. The unexpected is going to happen. This is the only Super Bowl thing I have for you. There's going to be people to walk out the arena this evening that on both sides, there's going to be people that's going to be surprised. Some will not have expected their team to lose, while others did not expect their team to win. (laughs) There's going to be surprises on both sides. But perhaps some of the harder surprises is not whenever there's something glorious that come down the pike that you didn't know about. But far greater than ever, the surprises that we are acquainted with are the ones that we bemoan and the ones that we consider and the ones that keep us awake at night. Amen. With our eyes dilated wide, wide open, even the dark are the surprises that come by way of tragedy, that come by the way of the unexpected. The loss of a job that enters our life that we didn't see coming. A loss of a spouse that happens tragically that we didn't see coming. A loss of a loved one, amen, that's ravaged. Their body been ravaged by disease and we were holding out for the healing and for the miracle and the healing and the miracle never came and their loss, the loss of health, amen, some of the elders in here tonight, amen, growing a little older and the loss of health and things coming up on their body, amen, that they thought they would never have to contend with or a new diagnosis that came down the pike, went to the yearly, you know, report at the doctor and now the doctor says we found a mass and we're gonna have to do some other studies. Surprise! is the unexpected that happens in our life. Amen. Shifting and happening, taking us, if you will, by surprise. Uh, 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 no 
unknown expense that crops up out of anywhere. Unexpected surprises, surprises. And it's many times when those things happen, we take our surprises to God and we go down to God and we start talking to God about what has happened in our life. And we talk to God, God, this is what's going on. And many times we talk to him as though he don't even know what's going on. We're like, God, I lost my job today. Do you realize, God, that that means this amount of income is not in our family? Do you realize I have such and such bill due on the 20th and on the 24th and I don't have the money for it? And you're surprised and you're talking to God like he don't even know it. You say, God, I got a mass over here in my left leg, up in my thigh. They think perhaps it's gotten to my bone. I'm just here to inform you right now, God, what's going on in my life? God, I just lost a loved one. I'm in the middle of sorrow and grief I'm with over much sorrow in despair and I just thought you ought to know God what's going on sometimes surprises come and it's so hard and it's so overtaking that it crumples our very knees and we fall down in that very moment and we begin to brief God about our surprise about our circumstance about our situation and God being the God he is he waits patiently in the heavens and he listens to every word and every syllable and he takes interest in you as though it's the first time that he ever knew about it or heard about it and he acknowledges what we say and it seems like God why aren't you reacting the way that I think you should react why aren't you reacting the way that I'm reacting And we think, God, why aren't you reacting? Why isn't your dander up? Why isn't the adrenaline pumping through you? Why isn't there a race, if you will, to somehow turn this around? And I'm here to tell you why tonight. It's not because God is insensitive. It's not because God is not concerned. It's not because God is not mindful of his children. It's because the very thing that you're telling him, God is not surprised by. It didn't show up on God's doorstep unexpected or unannounced. Because what is, what is the common saying? Whenever you learn information that you wasn't supposed to learn about, but it was supposed to surprise you, and somebody else told you, I'm going to tell you this, but whenever they tell you, act what? It's hard to fake sincere surprise. And God's not in the faking business. He's not saying, oh, really? Are you serious? <sighs> That's horrible. I can't. No, 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 no. He has a hard time. He can't fake surprise. And the reason why you're not getting that type of response from God, he's hearing you. He is having empathy with you. But he already knows this. Amen. It is there. But I knew it was going to be there before it got there. Someone say Glory. You saying, Brother McGee is God, and then we, there's all these other. Is God? Is He the author of all these things that are bad that happen in our life? Is, is God? And we could talk about that, and we could bat the ball back and forth about that. But I'm just telling you today that He's sovereign and that He's God, and none of these things take God by surprise. I'm trying to turn to a, a scripture in the Book of Job that I've all times just been overwhelmed by or, or taken in by. The Bible says in Job five and verse eighteen, and I'm reading out the Jerusalem Bible, and I'm preaching fast but I feel like preaching fast amen the Bible says in Job 5 and verse 18 Job is speaking about God amen they're speaking about God and it says for he who wounds is he who soothes the sore and the hand that hurts is the hand that heals you know what Job is saying in the scripture sometimes God brings pain but he can also bring the relief sometimes God has the knife but there's other times he has the bandit Nothing is a surprise. I'm here to tell somebody tonight that if it entered your life, God already has the solution in his hand as well. God is not surprised about your situation, sir. He wounds, he heals, he hurts. He heals. Uh, someone say yes. What happens? Disciples, let's get on the boat. 
Let's go to the other side. Everything's fine. Master, hinder part of the ship. Grabs whatever it was, I guess. Maybe he packed accordingly. <laughs> Grabbed his pillow. Went to sleep. I feel a little bishop spirit coming on me. Actually, this feels kind of good. Should do this more often while I preach. The Bible says the winds and the gale grew. The waters were overtaking him. The ship. And those 12 boys, he had invested time and years in. Let me back up and even say, many of which were skilled fishermen. Many of which that were acquainted with the propensity of the water, of the lake, of the sea. Knew that storms arose. These fishermen were on a voyage. And there was a threat happening. They evidently had to be a pretty good threat for some fishermen. Say, we need to find the master around here somewhere. Where is he? Asleep. And the words from those boys are these. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Water's coming in the boat. The winds are selling them. You got a bunch of trade fishermen that are common to the storm that are afraid. The Bible says they were exceedingly fearful. Look at it in the Bible. It said they were exceedingly fearful. And they're standing around the master while he's cutting a few Z's. Amen. Across the waters. And say, carest thou not? You know what they were saying? Why aren't you as anxious as we are? Why haven't you awakened yet? Why haven't you come to yourself? Why aren't you running from helm down to hinder and underneath the why aren't you affected like this like we are? But the master was asleep can I tell you and submit to you this evening the master was able to sleep because before his foot ever stepped on that boat before he ever gave the declaration to go across to the other side he already knew there was going to be a storm he already knew there was going to be water in the boat he already knew there was going to be the wind blowing he was not surprised when they woke him up someone say amen he knew this was going to happen. I'll go as far to tell you, he made it happen. And yet he gets up with the care and the diligence of the master, asking them about where their faith was. Why are you fearful? Why are you afraid? Because they were feared exceedingly. And he speaks a few words. And the same mouth and the same hand that created the storm. Calm the storm. I can't tell you all the ins of out when God chooses to calm the storm and whenever he allows it just to rage on. I can't give you all the details and the ins and outs of that. But what I can tell you is this. That if he created the storm, it don't have no power over him. God is not surprised. He declares the end from the beginning. He declared things he said in Isaiah that were still yet to unravel, that were still yet to come to pass. Someone say, Amen. The Bible says in Isaiah 37 and verse 26. If anybody ever pays attention, my Facebook was very, it, it is a dry place if you're looking for anything, all right? It'll come up every once in a while. Amen. But in Isaiah 37 and verse 26, I made mention of this scripture just a little bit. Amen. On there one day, because I had read it probably that morning or the day before. And the Bible states these words. Amen. In Isaiah 37 and verse 26, it says, Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be that thou shouldest be to lay waste defense cities into ruinous heaps. I read it, of course, from Jerusalem Bible. It's the Bible I'm reading through this year. And it said, do you hear long ago? I planned for it from the days of old. I designed it. Now I carry it out. 
Now here is, to have proper appreciation, here is the setting. Hezekiah, Hezekiah. He is the one worried dude right now. Because the king of Assyria has breathed some threats toward Hezekiah and the kingdom. Hezekiah is so overwhelmed with those threats. You can read of it in the beginning of chapter 37. That he covered himself with sackcloth. That he went to the house of the Lord. He sent to Eliakim and he sent to his household the scribe and the elders. He told them all, get on sackcloth and get it on now. We got to humble ourselves and we got to talk to God. Because there is a surprise. The king of Syria is going to come in and he's declaring war and he's going to strip us of our riches. He's going to strip our women of their babies. There's going to be onslaught and killings on every hand. It's going to happen. This is what's been spoken. The words have already come. My God, I wasn't expecting this. And to bolster his fear just a little bit more, Brother Terry, the Bible begins to speak about the king of Assyria because this isn't the first time he's done this. He's went into several different nations. He's went into several different lands. And every nation he went into and every land that he went into, he made havoc of them. He stole their babies. He called decimation all across their country. Amen. No nation had stood against Assyria. And Hezekiah's thinking in his mind, how are we as a nation going to stand against a man and a nation that's been successful at every endeavor that they've tried up to this point in time. I, I, let me bring it down to your level because I'm preaching to some people here today because you have the same report that someone else had and theirs were unsuccessful. And I'm saying sometimes it's successful in the church house, but you can wrap your mind around it. But theirs were unsuccessful. Their, their marriage did go to the divorce courts. This did happen. That did happen. It happened to everybody I know always had a negative result from the very same circumstances that I'm in. In other words, the report of the adversary, the report of the enemy is success after success after success. There's never been a defeat. And so I am going to be defeated like everybody else. Hezekiah said, boys, leaders, elders, get on your sackcloth. It's not going to be good. Every other nation has failed. And who are we to say like we're greater or better than any other nation? He's overtaken nations bigger than ours. He's overtaken nations richer than ours, smarter than ours. He's done mighty things against these people. What are we going to do? Just put on your sackcloth and put on your ashes. It's going to be a matter of fact, we might need to surrender. You read it in 37. Hezekiah was considering just totally surrender because we are up a full hill climb if we think about fighting. But the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord through Isaiah comes to Hezekiah in those groups and he tells them, I know the king of Assyria has had success on the left hand and on the right hand and every other place you can see it. I know the land is made bare now and it's been decimated by his hand. He said, but let me just wait one moment. I got to tell somebody. Amen. They all had their gods but I am the Lord your God. There's none like me. There's none not like another. And I know you're expecting your outcome just to be like everybody else's outcome. He says, but I'm here to tell you long ago I declared this day. Long ago I declared this matter. And not only did I declare it, but in the moment that I declared the problem, I declared also the answer. And it's going to come about that you will defeat, you will overcome the king of Assyria. How in the world? Because God is not surprised. <laughs> See, God can declare the end from the beginning because my Bible tells me in a couple different accounts that He is the end. He's the beginning and the end. So He can declare the end from the beginning because He is the end and the beginning. You know what? Sometimes I oftentimes pray. I always pray this. Sometimes I pray this with people. I pray this with myself. And I'll name the circumstance or whatever it is that's going on in my life or somebody else's life. And I say, God, it's in your hands. And but that's and this is what I always say. I say, God, it's in your hands. But that's where it was to start with, and that's where it'll be to finish with. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying I know He's the beginning and the end. He declared the beginning from the end. That's where it started, and that's where it's going to finish. Still right in the palm. 
Somebody hear me. Write in the palm of God. You got disease in your body, you're still right in his palm. You got financial problems, you're still right in his palm. You have dismal circumstances all around you, you're still right in his palm. That's where you will be to begin with, and that's where you'll be to end with. God is not surprised. Someone say glory. He's designed the plan, he said. Many times the plan was in place before the problem arrived. I said this when I wrote that. I said, we think we need a plan because we got a problem. But in God's world, he has a plan prepared before the problem ever came. Someone say, God's got this. Mm -hmm. God has got this. Turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 7. Genesis chapter number 7. I might read out a couple different Bibles. Grab a few more out of my office. We'll read out those too. And Genesis chapter number 7. The first, first four verses. I'll state these words. The Lord said unto Noah. Now let's just pause you want to talk about surprise. Yeah. Build an ark at these ginormous dimensions on land. Where you've never had the rainfall that I'm talking to you about that's going to come. Now you want to talk about shifting your schedule. And that's a good case in point right there in itself. And let's just go home. That God was preparing the plan before the quote-unquote problem ever came. Anyway, the ark's already built, okay? We're kind of into the story a little bit. And the Lord said to Noah, come and bow. <clears throat> and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by or by sevens. You ever read that in your Bible? And I'm not preaching false doctrine. By sevens, the male and his female. And of the beasts that are not clean, by two, the male and his female. And the fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female. To keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. He continues to tell him how he's going to cause the rain to come and how when they're going to come into the ark. And so we read this, of every clean beast thou shalt take sevens, the male and his female. Of the fowls that are clean, seven, the male and his female. Now our little Bible stories as kids growing up as we sat in Sunday school class and that we see the ark, we see two giraffe going in, and we see two hippopotamuses, and we see two this, two that, and how did the animals go in the ark? Well, they went two by two. Absolutely correct answer, except when you come to clean beast and clean fowl. They entered by sevens, seven pairs, male and the female. Okay? I'm sorry if I rocked anybody's boat <laughs> over your two-by-two two thing right there, but it's Bible. Genesis chapter number 7. Trying to make sure I got the right verse. What do I got up there, guys? Eight. Genesis chapter number eight. In the latter portion of the verse, verse number, thank you guys, 20. This is after the flood, after the waters getting high, the, the, after the waters receded, the drift, the waiting seven days, the waiting seven days, the waiting, all of that. So after all that, the Bible says, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. You read the occurrence. God never told Noah to build an altar. God never told Noah 
gave him any instruction before they got on the boat, after they got off the boat, to build an altar. Someone say an altar. But God did instruct Noah. Seven male and female of the clean beasts you need to take. Seven of the clean fowl, male and female, you need to take. But he never said anything about building God an altar. God declares the end from the beginning. God knew the propensity of that man that he favored. That man that had found grace in the eyes of God. God knew him. That whenever the storm is over, he's going to want to worship. When all of the waters have receded, he's going to want to worship. So I'll tell him to make provision now for something that he doesn't even know he's going to do almost a year from now. So Noah, don't just take them up two by two. But the clean beast, I wonder why in the world God wanted me to take seven of the clean and seven of the foul. Amen. Noah even didn't question God. He just took them on the boat. And this is one of the ways, ladies and gentlemen, that God declares the end from the beginning. Can I submit to you tonight that before the first drop of water fell on the ground, God saw a man that was going to have sacrifice of worship to him for the water that had already receded from the and if God with his telescopic vision amen can see and know that I wonder what he has planned for your circumstance I wonder have you ever been in a scenario that you did something you bought something you acted a certain way and you went home you told your wife you told your kids I had the slightest idea what in the world why I did that today or why I bought that or why I built that or why I gave that away and you had the slightest idea and many times what it is is God already putting together a plan amen before amen anything ever came down the pike I don't know how long I've been up here. We got a problem on our hands. Someone say amen. Because think about it, folks. Here's, here's, here's. God was preserving everything of the earth. He was preserving it all, mankind and every beast. If Noah had just taken two of each kind, a male and a female, and then he had to sacrifice, he'd done away with one. There was one species or aspect that was totally done away with. God says, we can't have this happening. I'll make provision. You take them and you go be sacrificing, but you don't even know it, and I'm not asking you to do it. How in the world does God how does God have control of everything? And you just tell me about that. He made provision for it, but didn't tell Noah to do it, but Noah did it anyway. I said this one time, I think me and Brother Zach was having amen, so things like this. We talk about, you know, the foreknowledge of God. Let me tell you this. Whenever you're approaching, when you're approaching a stoplight, and it's yellow, and it turns red, are you surprised? But did you knowing that it was going to turn red mean that you were the one that caused it to turn red? I'm just asking. No, right? God knew Noah was going to sacrifice, and he made provision for the sacrifice. But just because he had the knowledge of all those doesn't mean that he made Noah. I know that's deep waters there. Now we might need to get back in the boat, all right? <laughs> but he knew the heart. He knew the heart of the man just as much as he knew the heart of Job whenever he told the enemy you can touch, you can touch and take everything he has. I even go give you the latitude to touch even his life but don't take his life. He's an upright and he's a perfect man. You know what God knew when it's all said and done and everything comes he's still going to fall down on his ground and worship. I'm not making him do that. God is not surprised. 
He's not surprised. While Abraham and Isaac are going up Mount Moriah, amen, and Isaac is pondering the question, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham is wondering in the back of his mind, that's a good question, son. But by his faith, he says God will provide himself a lamb when they get up there and the knife that's coming down against his son to take his life from him. The angel of the Lord stays the hand and lo and behold, there was a ram in the thicket that might have surprised Abraham, but that was no surprise to that was no surprise to God. Can someone say amen? It was no surprise to God that just a few days, weeks in, if you will, after the children of Israel left the land of bondage of Egypt and they're already hammed, they're crying and they're bickering about dying out here. We don't have no food like we did in Egypt. We have no water like we do in Egypt. And now here we are, Moses. You brought us to Mara and the waters are bitter. What in the world are we going to do? Uh-oh, we have something unexpected on our hands. We're going to perish. It might have been surprise to all those people that God, God said there's a tree in the desert but God had already planted the tree and supplied the tree for the need they were having in their hour. It was no surprise to God. Someone say amen. Am I doing okay? Whenever he continues there in Isaiah, and I'm trying to get to close. When he continues there in Isaiah 46, talking about he declared the end from the beginning. He's spoken some things. He's spoken some things from times ancient. His counsel shall stand. I'll do all my pleasure. He even talks about calling a ravenous bird from the east or the west. I don't remember which direction. He speaks of all these things. And in that time frame, he's actually speaking about bringing up a king by the name of Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians that would come and march into Babylon that would upset house of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and take both Babylon and Israel, which Babylon had captured, out of his hands. God says, I've declared that from ancient ago, and we read of it in Isaiah. You've heard me preached about. He talked about the whole occurrence of Cyrus overcoming Babylon before Cyrus was ever born. He called Cyrus by name before Cyrus even had an existence. You hear what I just said? He called Cyrus by name before Cyrus even had an existence. I'm not talking about he was already in his mother's womb. I'm talking about four to five hundred years before his existence, God had already called him by name. So don't think for a moment when years later it would call that there's a Cyrus coming into Babylon. And taking the Babylonians along with Israel away. That God was setting up. What are we going to do? No. God said. Man I've had this in mind for 500 years. Musicians can come tonight. God is not. He is not. Everybody say he is not. He is not. Surprised. Stand with me here this evening. <laughs> so tonight, what unexpected has visited your home? What unexpected has visited your family? What has happened that You've had conversations around your table and said, you know what? It's already bad. I just don't think it can get any worse than what's come along to prove that statement incorrect. <laughs> what's caused you to lose sleep here lately at night? What's caused even perhaps some of you, Holy Ghost, help me. What's maybe perhaps caused some of you to be like Hezekiah and thinking maybe it would be easier just to surrender? And there's always something very problematic with all of that, folks. Really, there is. So it might get better 
if you cut God out of the equation? Now let's go back to the song we sang tonight. It's his breath in your lungs. And you think it's going to get better if you cut God out of the equation? And I am not being... I'm not being rude or crude here this evening, please. I, I want you to know that I hope you can find the ear of compassion and empathy here, right here with your pastor. And anything I've said tonight is not because I don't empathize perhaps where some of you are. We've all had our own set of difficulties that's ravaged our lives at time. I understand that. I understand that. But just the simplicity of this message tonight is this. That though things enter your life that you would classify as unexpected, that you might even say surprised you, the simplicity of this message is this, that while I may be surprised, my God is not surprised. That while this came out of left field and blindsided me, there's not been one, one course of this happening that's escaped the eyes or the mind of God. So what we need here tonight, what we need here tonight is people to fill these altars that have been surprised. People that have been holding on to day and week after week the unexpected after the unexpected to arise. And what we need to do tonight as an act of faith is just to tell God what he already knows. You've got this, God. This diagnosis hasn't surprised you, God. My lack of funds, this hasn't surprised you, God. We just need to let God know that we know that he knows. Go on and bring your pain here. That's fine. Bring your discouragement up here. That is okay. Bring your wet eyes. The bags under your eyes of sleepless nights. Bring it up here. That's fine. But in the moment of doing it, take confidence. Take confidence. That you have a God you don't have to carry. But he carries you. That you have a God you didn't make. But he made you. That you have a God that you don't have to try to deliver. But he can deliver you. These altars are open right now. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.